0: it's kind of that time of year, I feel it through my kids even more than I feel it in myself, where you can feel the change in the season that summer is here. Like, I don't know, actually, I say I feel it in my kids. I also feel it in the humidity. Um, I stepped outside yesterday, and I was just like, no, I can't. I can not do this. I can't go outside. My girls didn't want to be outside all day. And usually I'm like, no, you got to be outside and play. And I was like, no, I understand. It feels like someone has put a weighted, heated blanket on you and you're just trying to walk around in it. And the humidity is crazy, but it's that season change time of year. And anytime you come upon a season where the season is changing, I think it's always important and it's always necessary and it's always healthy to evaluate what you're carrying into the new season with you that maybe you don't need to carry into the new season with you. That, that it's kind of a good time to naturally evaluate with the season, like, what have I carried in this past season that doesn't really need to come with me into the summer? What, what, what have I been carrying in the spring and in the fall that doesn't need to come with me into this summer? And this may actually surprise you, but growing up, I was not generally one of the tallest or largest people in any of my classes ever. I was generally on the smaller side of the scale of people in my classes. And I I went to a small school and so that helped a little bit, uh, If you want to have an idea of how small my school was, uh, I played point guard on our varsity basketball team. That should give you an idea of how small our school was. It was not because of my height. It was not because of my skill. It was because of my availability. (laughs) And, And... When you're in school and you're a smaller person as I was, like if you look back at my school photos from about seventh grade until almost high school graduation, I could be any age in that range. You would never know. You would not be able to pick out like, oh, look, he got older. It just looks like the same every year. It's like he's the same height. He's the same size. There he is. And I remember specifically, my mom used to tell me like, you're going to like this when you get older. You're going to like that you look younger when you get older. And I'm like, but I don't like it now because when you're a kid, you like want to look older. And then when you get older, you want to look younger. And and it's kind of this like completely reverse situation. But I always was younger. I was always, always looked younger. I was always smaller for my age. And so I was always just astonished when we would come back from summer break. and, And there were some kids in my class that I had not seen since last year who somehow turned into giants Like somehow over the two or three months that I did not see them over summer, they turned into giants and I stayed exactly the same. Somehow they were taller, they were larger, they were more mature, they had beards, it was just like this wild, I was just like, where is all of this coming from? And I was actually thinking about this recently because I have a middle schooler now and I'm just watching all these middle school kids. It's an incredible age just to watch like at birthday parties and stuff. It's just, they're not, they want to be kids, but they want to be old and they, they still want to like play, but they're too cool to play. And it is just like, it's just like a psychological disaster. And And so I'm watching them grow up and I was thinking about this and I was reading this study that actually was saying that kids actually do grow more physically over the summer. Uh, They've actually proven that kids grow more over the summer because over the summer they tend to sleep more, they tend to eat more, they tend to stress less, and so they tend to grow more. And so I started thinking about this idea of summer growth. And how a lot of times we talk about growth, we talk about that we want to grow, we talk about that we want to get better at something, and we talk about how we want to grow, but the truth is that we don't actually grow anything. Like like a farmer doesn't grow corn, a farmer cultivates the conditions in which corn grows. Like a farmer cultivates the condition in which corn does what it was designed to do. And I think what we have to realize as humans and as followers of Jesus is that we were designed to grow. Like we will grow. The question is, what is the environment that we are growing in? What is the culture that we're growing in? What is the language? What what is the soil that we are growing in? Because we all know those people or places that have not grown. Like they have gotten bigger, but they have not grown. They have gotten bigger, but they are no more mature than they were. They have gotten bigger, but they are still dealing with the same issues they've always dealt with. You know, there was a gap in my life of about 20 years where I never walked into a Chuck E. Cheese. I went as a child, and then I grew out of it, and then I went again with my children. And it has not changed at all. Chuck E. Cheese is the exact same place it was when I was a kid. Somehow, they're using that same animatronic mouse poorly playing in that same animatronic band with the same games. It looks exactly the same. Technology has increased like a hundred fold since the eighties and Chuck E. Cheese is exactly the same. And I do not understand it. I don't understand why they would not want to make that place any better than it is. But there's something about places that are familiar and that have not changed that we appreciate. Like we like them. We like to go back and we like that it feels the same. But there's a point where change needs to happen. There's a point where growth needs to happen. My middle daughter, Sophia, when we used to go to Chuck E. Cheese, call, her friends called it Chuck E. Cheeses, and then she started calling it Chuck E. Jesus. <laughs> and, and so she would call it Chuck E. Jesus. And I don't know, if you have kids, sometimes your kids say things that are too cute to correct. And so she would say, "Chucky Jesus, and I would say it back to her, like, yeah, we're going to Chucky Jesus, knowing that's not the right term. But it was just too cute to correct. But then eventually it wasn't. Like, there comes a point where if you're an adult calling it Chucky Jesus, people just think you're insane. People just think that something is wrong with you. And there comes a point in your life where the fact that you are not growing, like, isn't cute anymore. You, you know what I mean? Like there's there's a time when it's kind of cute that you say things wrong and you don't understand things quite like you should. And it's cute because you're watching growth happen. You can see the connection of like, oh, Jesus sounds like Jesus. That's cute. But then when you get old, it's just not cute anymore. And I think what we have to realize is that we hit a point in our growth as human beings where when we have not grown and when we have not matured, it's not cute anymore. There does come a time where where you should make the conscious decision that you are going to make the choices necessary to grow, that you're going to make the choices necessary, that you're going to do the things you need to do to see growth in your life. Have you ever had something in your life that there is just a vast disconnect between how good you actually are at it and how good you would like to be at it? Like you can visualize and you can think about how good you would like to be at something, but it just does not line up with your actual skill or your actual ability. I see this all the time in my own life. And I think what we have to realize is that in that gap between where we are and where we would like to be, that gap is an invitation. That gap is an opportunity to either stay exactly where we are or to make the decisions necessary to grow. And so over the next few weeks of the summer, we're going to be doing this series called Summer of Growth, where we talk about the areas in which we can grow. But before we talk about the places we should grow, we have to talk about the environment that we have to cultivate to even be able to grow. Because there are some things that have to happen in our lives before we can really even take the steps we need to in order to grow. And there's all of these moments in Scripture where Jesus' followers are essentially asking him how they can grow. They're asking him, what can we do to be more like you? What can we do to follow you closer? What can we do to walk in the power and the authority that you are walking with? And in modern times, it seems like what we pull out of those moments are generally leadership principles. Like we talk about Jesus being one of the greatest leaders in history. And Jesus was certainly one of the greatest leaders in history, evidenced by the fact that to this day, there are billions of people on this planet that follow Jesus. There is no doubt that his leadership ability is good, and yet every time he's asked, what can we do, what he usually points to is not so much how you can lead, but how you can follow, not, not so much how you can lead, but how you can follow in his ways. Because see, when we talk about growth and we talk about the word growth, generally, we don't even know exactly what we're talking about in this culture because you can grow your followers, you can grow your platform, you can grow your influence without actually growing yourself. And someone whose platform and following and influence is growing at a faster rate than they are growing is a problem waiting to happen because the thing that you are pointing everybody to cannot sustain itself if it is not growing at a level that is greater than those that are following them. And this is why Jesus is the greatest leader of all time, because there is no level at which the followership can outpace the leadership. There is no moment where those that are following can get ahead of the leader or outgrow the leader. And so there's this moment in scripture where, Jesus is talking to his followers and they're essentially talking about what they can do to grow. And in John chapter 15, beginning in verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers, such as branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. In other words, the way that people will know that you are my disciples is if you are bearing fruit, and not just bearing fruit, but bearing much fruit. This is how they will know that you are my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that you may have joy be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is the, the essence of what Jesus is saying about how you grow and the intention of your life is that you will bear fruit. And he says over and over in that passage that his intention for you is that you will not just bear fruit, but bear much fruit and not just bear much fruit, but bear fruit that will remain, fruit that will last, that your life would bear fruit that will last. And in this moment throughout scripture, we, we often see Jesus talking in parables that you find are actually quite confusing for his audience. Like often Jesus will tell a parable, he will give a principle through a parable, and then basically the crowd will say, we don't understand. And Jesus will find another way to say what he just said. But that is not what Jesus does in this moment, because this is actually probably one of the clearest moments of communication that we see from Jesus to his audience, because he is talking to a group of people that would know agriculture. They would know planting, they would know reaping, they would know sowing, they would know harvest, they would know all of those things. And so Jesus talks in agricultural terms, basically saying that if you want to grow, you have to remain in me. That if you want to grow, it is important that you remain in me. And he uses these agricultural terms. And so they're kind of all on the same page. But what we have to understand is that he is talking to a group of people that understand that growth is a process. They understand that growth is a process. And this is why this is so difficult for us to get is that we don't really understand that there is a process that leads to a product. Because we live in a society where when we want a product, we order it and we get the product. When we want something, we go on Amazon Prime, we order it, and it's there the next day. I literally this week came home to a package on the doorstep. I left it on the counter. I said, Kristen, what did you order? She said, nothing. It was something I had ordered and I had completely forgotten about. Because we are so second nature as far as just being able to order something and it arriving that we don't even really think about the fact that there is a process. I don't even know the process that Amazon goes through to get me a package in a day. It seems impossible, but somehow they do it. And he was speaking to an agricultural environment that knew that if they wanted to bear fruit, that there was a process involved in it. And there are kind of four things that I think we need to highlight before we can even talk about the ways in which we grow. And the first is simply that we have to acknowledge that growth is a process and not an event. Growth is a process and not an event. If they wanted fruit, they knew that they had to go through the process that was necessary to bear fruit. And we so often miss this point because of our culture. We are conditioned for convenience. And Jesus is saying bearing fruit is going to be a slow process. And we are not about things that process slowly. If your computer starts processing slowly, if your phone starts processing slowly, you quickly replace that item. About every year, we all go out and spend like $1,000 on a new phone because it's like a little bit faster than the one we have right now. Because we are willing to pay for more speed, but we are not willing to pay with speed. We're not willing to pay with time. We'll pay for it, but we're not willing to pay with it. We're not willing to actually give of our time to grow. We would rather give of our resources to get. We would rather give of our resources to get something than give of our time to grow something. But Jesus is talking to a group of people who understand the agricultural culture. They understand that growth is a process and not an event. We see this clearly in the life of David If you look in the book of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's this moment where God has spoken to the prophet and he's told him to go and anoint the next king of Israel. He tells him to go to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse. And some of you know this story, but he goes and he looks at all of the sons of Jesse and none of them are the next king. None of them strike him as the one that God has called. And he says, is there anybody else? Is there anyone else? And Jesse basically says, "Well, I have this other son who's out in the fields. He's taking care of the sheep. He's doing his thing, but it's kind of implied that Jesse would not have thought that this son would have even been worthy to have been considered to be king." And Jesse says, "Well, well, bring him to me." And it says in, in beginning in verse 11 of chapter 16, Jesse says, "There is still the youngest. He is tending sheep." "'Samuel said, "'Send for him. "'We will not sit down until he arrives.'" So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And Samuel went to Ramah. David is powerfully anointed in this moment. And he takes the throne as king. 15 years later. So in this moment, David is powerfully anointed to be king, but he is not yet prepared to be king. He is powerfully anointed to do something that God has called him to do, but he is not yet prepared to do it. And nearly 15 years later, we see again in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, he is warring with the current king of Israel, and it says, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. It was a waiting period that lasted a long time. And it said, in that moment of time, it says, David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. I think it's important that we don't miss the fact that David had to grow into the role that he was anointed for, that that David had to grow into the role that he was anointed for. See, David was anointed for the position as king, but he did not yet carry the authority to walk in that role. And I think we have to realize sometimes that that there are things in our life that God may call us to, that God may show us are part of our future, are part of what we are supposed to walk in, but that does not mean that there's not going to be a season of preparation that gets us there. That there is a season of preparation where we have to choose whether we are going to use that time to grow stronger and stronger or weaker and weaker. And there are some things that have to happen in this moment of time. What we do with that time says everything about how we end up. But our our culture is so just obsessed with not waiting. Just yesterday, uh, Kristen and I were actually in a Walgreens just picking something up, and we were in line, and the line got kind of long. And there was a lady that was trying to check out, and for some reason the computer froze. As she, she put in her card, the computer froze, and it was like 15 seconds, and she was like, what do we need to do? There's this line backing up. What do, do, do I need to get out? I'll pay cash. Will you take cash? And Lady was like, I can't do anything until the computer. She's like, I'll just leave. I'll leave. I don't need it. I'll leave. She literally was willing to leave what she was paying for more than she wanted to wait for the computer to keep loading. Because she felt this pressure of this line behind her. She felt like she was pushing everybody behind. And I wonder how often do we feel this non existent pressure to be something that we are not? That we feel this pressure to be somewhere that we are not. This is what happens when we do not realize that growth is a process and not an event. And the growth process begins with being planted. It begins with being planted. If you look throughout the scripture, the metaphor of seed is all throughout the scripture. And it is not even consistent what it represents. The the metaphor of seed is used for the kingdom of God. It's used for Jesus. It's used for finances. It's used for marriage. It's used over and over where when Jesus is asked about something, he says, that thing you're asking about is like a seed. And to the point that it was probably almost confusing or annoying to his followers, because you could probably just about guess when you asked Jesus what something was like, he was going to say, you know, it's like a seed. And what he was trying to imply in that moment is that if you want to grow anything of significance, it has to begin with a seed. It has to begin with something that is going to take time. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, it says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. In other words, what Solomon is saying here is, if you do not plant, you will not bear fruit. And I think so often we, we hold back from planting our seed because the seed doesn't look like fruit. It looks like a seed. But what Solomon is saying is to get your seed in the ground if you want to see anything grow. And he literally says those that watch the clouds, basically what he's saying is those that are paying attention to the weather, those that are looking for the perfect time to plant their seed, those that are waiting until the conditions are just right, they will never reap a harvest because they will never actually plant the seed because the conditions are never going to be perfect. The weather is never going to be just right. And the same is true for you and for me when it comes to the purpose that God has on our lives, that the time will never be exactly right. But the time is right now. It doesn't matter what the conditions are saying. It doesn't matter what the clouds are saying. It doesn't matter what the weather is saying. The time to get the seed in the ground is now. And so if you're in a place where there is that disconnect between the leader that you are and the leader that you want to be, the parent that you are and the parent that you want to be, the the husband or wife that you are and want to be, the boss that you are and you want to be, the time to begin is now. The time to begin is not out in the future. It's not when the conditions are just right. It's not when the wind gets just right. The time to get the seed in the ground is now. We have to stop waiting for the perfect conditions and go ahead and plant our seed. See, the person who's looking at the clouds, the person who's looking at the weather, they are looking at the outward conditions when the work that God wants to do is in the ground. The conditions are right in the ground. The conditions are right where the seed is meant to be. And if the seed is placed where it's meant to be, the outside conditions do not matter because what is actually needed is in the ground. And isn't it interesting that the first thing that is necessary for growth is darkness? How many times have you walked through a season of darkness and wondered, What is the purpose of this season? What could possibly be the purpose of the pain that I'm walking through? What could possibly be the purpose of the darkness? What could possibly be the purpose of the blindness that I'm feeling where I cannot see? What could possibly be the purpose? And it's because the first necessity for growth is darkness, The first necessity for growth is to be planted and to be in darkness. And you may be in a season where you feel like you're in darkness. You feel like you're being covered up. You feel like you're being concealed. You feel like you're being buried. You feel like you are in darkness when the truth is you are being placed exactly where you need to be in order to grow. You are being placed in the exact conditions that require your, that are required for your growth. See, this is the season where you can really start to feel like you've fallen behind in life. Where you can really start to feel like you've fallen behind in your calling. You can really start to feel like you've fallen behind in your role as a parent or a leader or a husband or a wife. But it's a necessary season to ensure that you get the nutrients you need to be able to actually bear fruit that remains. Fruit that lasts. You have to be planted. And once you're planted, you have to make sure that you're watered. You have to make sure that you are watered. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 7, Paul is speaking and he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. See, see remember, God makes things grow, But we have to cultivate the conditions in which things can grow. We have to make sure that we are planted and we have to make sure that we are watered. And the way that we make sure that we are watered is is just like this verse says. It says, Paul planted and then Apollos watered. Once that seed is planted, you need to make sure that there are people in your life who water that seed. You need to make sure that there are people in your life who encourage you in the thing that you are going after, who encourage you and remind you of the fruit that is to come. They remind you of what is to come after this season of darkness. See, it's a specific outside person who actually does the watering. And you have to get around people who water your gift, who invest in your growth, who believe in where you are going, people who encourage you, people who call it out of you. You have to get exposed to people who are better than you at what you want to get good at. If there is something that you know that you want to get good at, that God is calling you to be better at, you need to be exposed to people who are better than you in that thing. You have to, you have to make sure that you are watching people who are ahead of you in that thing. And see, this in this culture can become discouraging because we see where people are and we want to be where they are. We want to be at the level that they are at. But what we have to remember is that a seed is fully fulfilling its purpose when it is a seed, when it is not bearing fruit, when it is not yet growing, when it is a seed, it is still fulfilling its purpose in that season. That's why we cannot get confused about what season we are in. Discouragement generally be- comes from not realizing where you are at in the process. Discouragement comes from not realizing that you are supposed to be a seed. You are not yet supposed to be bearing fruit. You are supposed to be a seed. When we have a good grip on what, where we are at in the process, it keeps discouragement away. See so what we have to do is we have to redefine Success. Because we see success only in terms of influence, only in terms of of what we see on the fruit side. We need to redefine success as faithfulness. Because here's the thing, if you only define success by a certain outside metric, if you only define success by, oh, when I'm where they're at or when I have accomplished this, then success will always be in the future, It will always be something you're reaching for. It will always be something you are striving for. But when you define success as faithfulness, you have the opportunity to be successful today. You have the opportunity to be successful right now, right where you are. And so we have to redefine success as faithfulness. And then finally, once we're planted and we are watered, we have to make sure that we are rooted in the ground that we're rooted in. That we're planted in. We have to be rooted. Matthew 13, verse 21 says, but since they have no root, they lasted only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, remember that what Jesus has called us to is not just fruit. It's fruit that remains. And and here in Matthew, he's talking about there was fruit, But it fell away quickly because it was not rooted. It fell away quickly because it was not grounded. And it says, because they had no root, they fell away quickly. And then in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7, it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives for him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, what's interesting about roots is that once the seed is planted and once the seed is watered, the first sign of growth is the root system, but the root system actually grows down. The root system doesn't grow up. The root system grows down. See, there can be a season in your growth where it feels like you're actually heading in the wrong direction. It actually feels like you are losing progress. It actually feels like you are moving away from the fruit because the fruit is going to be up above the surface. And yet the first season of growth is down further into the soil, And so there can be these seasons where we feel like, God, I don't see the growth. I don't feel like I'm growing. I actually feel like I'm walking in the wrong direction. But what God is doing is ensuring in you that you are rooted in the soil that you need to be in so that when the fruit comes, it won't fall away quickly. It will be fruit that remains. It will be fruit that lasts. See, what I want you to realize is that this process of growth that is not an event, it can be a painful process. It can be a process of darkness. It can be a process where it feels like you're heading in the wrong direction, but it is necessary to go through in order to bear fruit that remains. I think it's important that we realize that these first stages of growth The first stages of growth in any fruit are not for public consumption. The first stages of growth in any fruit are not meant for anybody to eat. They are solely meant to ensure that when the fruit comes, it has the nutrients it needs to have, that it can actually do the job it's meant to do, that it can actually remain the, the, the first signs of growth are not Instagram worthy. The first signs of growth are not for public consumption. They are for personal growth. It, we, we live in a culture that wants to eat rootless fruit. We live in a culture that wants to eat fruit that does not actually nourish, that does not actually contain what it needs to bring life. And we need to be people that are rooted in the soil that God has placed us in. We need to be people who are willing to take the time and take the journey to let our roots go down deep in the soil that God has placed us in. Listen, roots attach you in a greater way to the soil. So don't be surprised when you grow more into the soil that you are in. Don't be surprised when you become more of what you are planted in. Don't be surprised when your roots go down deeper. So we need to pay attention to the soil that we are planted in. We need to pay attention to the soil that we are in. We need to be planted in the right places and not be surprised with when what we feed actually grows. And so that is my question for you today is what is the soil that you are planted in. And what are you watering? Where are you planted? And what are you watering? That is what is going to grow in your life. When the conditions are right, what is going to grow in your life is what you have planted and what you are watering. The soil you are in and what you are watering. And... and, And parents, don't be surprised when your kids grow in the soil that you have placed them in. Don't be surprised when you don't get your house in order and you live in dysfunction. Don't be surprised when your kids grow up in that soil. Don't be surprised when they grow up in the soil that you have placed them in. If you're not sure what soil you've placed them in, let me just invite you to check your calendar and your bank statement, and it'll let you know real quick the soil that you have placed your family in and the priorities that you have had for your family and those are the things that they will grow up in see so often we think that getting our lives in order getting our families in order are for personal sake but there are people growing in the soil that you're cultivating and what is the soil that they are cultivating this morning or you're cultivating this morning what is the soil that they are growing up in I am convinced that, that we have to be a people who have a better soil than the world has. We have to be a people who have a better environment to grow in than what the world has. We have to be a people who when people look at the fruit of our lives, they look at the fruit of our marriages, they look at the fruit of our children, they look at the fruit of our businesses, they look at the fruit of our marriages. They say, what soil are you growing that in? Because the fruit of my life doesn't look like the fruit of your life. The fruit that we bear needs to look different and it needs to last longer. And the only way it's going to look different, the only way it's going to last longer is if we are intentional about the soil that we are planted in, we are intentional about what we water, and we choose to be rooted in those things, that we are intentional to let the roots go down deep so that they will not be knocked over quickly by the world, they will not be knocked over quickly by our circumstances, they will not be knocked over quickly when the unexpected comes, because we are rooted in the right soil. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?